Although, I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled right. There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey, you want to get on the train here, or you want to ruin another take, huh? It's too cerebral. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film. Man, I don't drop character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. Welcome back to another edition of the ItMod Chatcast. Joining me today is Billy Das, the indie dork. What's up, Billy? Not much, man. I'm excited to be here for this conversation. Me too, me too. And I am, of course, your host, Brad Gullickson, <laughs> the mouth dork. And on this very special episode, we have director Al White, a.k.a. A.T. White, Mm. uh, the filmmaker behind the Fantastic Fest favorite, Lost Weekend 11 favorite, Starfish. Mm -hmm. You were a big fan of this movie. I liked it. And, you know, this is one of those watches uh, where I I think in the true spirit of Lost Weekend, I really did not research up on the title before I saw it. And number one, I was overwhelmed with the emotions that I experienced while watching this movie. Um, But number two, I I really think it's quite beautiful. And I was very struck by the issues that he was working through in the film. Uh, I had a lot of emotions watching Starfish (laughs) and we talk about it on this uh, episode with uh, Al. It's a, it's a, it's a lot. And I don't think it's the type of movie that, one should just dive right on into. I agree. I think if you have issues with violence, self-harm, that kind of thing, you need to be made aware of it um, and be in a particular headspace. But once you get into that headspace, it is a very moving experience. And by the end of the film, even as the credits are rolling, I was like, like, what do you rate this on Letterboxd? I don't know. Yeah. But I know I watched something extremely moving and extremely well crafted and beautiful. It's um, it's it's very uh, even before the conversation, it was very obviously a personal story for him, and I really appreciate the filmmakers who are uh, fearless. Maybe is not the right word, but who so obviously just open themselves up and say, these are the emotions that I'm working through and the things that I'm trying to figure out in my own life. And I think that that comes through on the screen. But like you said, I mean, you know, be prepared. This this is a heavy subject movie and, and there definitely is things with self-harm involved in it. And, you know, if you're not in a space to watch something like that, even if it is beautiful, you know, maybe put it off to another time. So we had this conversation up at the projection booth at the Alamo Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, as part of Lost Weekend 11. If you don't know what that is... Uh, you need to correct that. Jump on <laughs> over to the Winchester Draft House page, read up on past Lost Weekends, get ready for Lost Weekend 12, because Andy Geyerson, the programmer over there, is not happy with just one Lost Weekend, one film festival a year. He has to have two every mm-hmm. year. So Lost Weekend 11 happened in the spring, and Lost Weekend 12 will happen in the fall, and will probably be packed with a bunch of advanced screenings and more celebrity guests like Al White. And Emilio Estevez. And Emilio Estevez, Last weekend, I mean, I really like the guests that he brought out to Last Weekend, and uh, I I think this last one was a lot of fun. I think Last Weekend's turning into... It's it's growing. It's evolving. And it's very interesting to watch that come up. We should also mention that we are joined by Stephen of Four Color Fantasies Comic Book Shop in Winchester, Virginia, on this conversation. He hopped in for a few questions. Uh, You know, 
Four Color Fantasies, In the Mouth of Darkness, were both sponsors of Lost Weekend on a regular basis. Uh, Four Color Fantasies right now is doing a silent auction, which just started on April 1st, where they are giving away, or not giving away, accepting Auctioning. bids. Yes. It's how an auction works. <laughs> of uh, several uh, sketch cover comic book uh, comic books. And they range from Jeff Lemire to Jim Moffat to local artists, all contributing to this charity. And the covers are astonishingly cool. They've got, I think they've got, they had a live stream of their cover art reveal for the things that we're doing. I don't know if that's on YouTube now or if it's on their it's Facebook certainly page. On on Twitter, I would assume it's on their Facebook page. You yeah. should go to their Facebook page, Four Color Fantasies, and get all your information on the auction. From from what I saw, I mean, they've got some big names on there that, you know, if you're a comic book fan, you might want to pursue acquiring some of those. But the local artists, I, I think, look great. And, uh, you know, it's all for a good cause. So go out and make some bids. Okay, so without uh, any more blather from these two dorks, let's get on to the conversation and we'll catch you back on the flip side. And here we are back at our favorite movie theater, our favorite Alamo Drafthouse in Winchester, Virginia, in our favorite projection booth. Today we are speaking with Al White, writer, director, producer, kind of star... At least an actor of some kind playing himself at one point, maybe. I don't know. No spoilers. Uh, Al White of uh, Starfish. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Uh, the pleasure is all ours. And joining us, guest dork, we've got Stephen Cluthman from Four Color Fantasies. Stephen, thank you. Thank you. Did I get your last name right this time? You did. Oh, thank you, God. Yeah, you nailed it. Yeah, because I did the interview uh, with the Fiddlin' producer, and I totally oh, butchered no. it, and it was really <laughs> No, no, it was sad because he asked for correction, Before I recorded it, and, and I still it got it wrong. Yep, and I'm traumatized from that. That yes. really is. You're yes. just following yes. through. Yeah. We should talk about it some more. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no. What no. is that like yeah. for you, you emotionally? Uh, the Fiddlin' direct, yeah. uh, producer? <laughs> That's Vicky Flaskin? Oh, I'm cutting all of this out. <laughs> uh, hey, Billy, don't you have questions for uh, our guest? Hmm, yeah, no, that's a good segue. I think I had a couple of questions. I uh, know. So uh, we literally just walked out of the movie for the first time having seen it. And I think I'm still working through all of the aspects of the movie. But I think it's safe to say that it's weird and emotional. Uh, and you've talked about it previously being a deeply personal film to you. Uh, so I guess my opening question would just be uh, so if this is ref is this reflecting on a personal experience and what you learned through a process or was the creation of the film your way of working through some of these emotional issues definitely uh, yeah 100% the latter like mm -hmm. it's definitely a cathartic thing for me which I, I never expected uh, to get to make I wrote it just out of necessity to be honest um, and the first draft was unusable and then it took me about a year to get to a place in my own sort of grieving process from my friend who passed away to know how to make it slightly digestible once, it, once I realized oh some people were interested in maybe doing something with this mm. uh, as an actual movie I was like well this is like, it has to be at least vaguely watchable <laughs> and uh, yeah so it was definitely more it was just pure necessity like I, I had to I don't know where I'd be now if I hadn't been able to write it and I'm pretty mm -hmm. grateful that people allowed me to express that then 
in the film format. When you're writing your first draft, is this something that your intent is to maybe share with somebody someday, or is it just this is a process that I know to to work through things? Normally, for sure, it's you know your intent is you know I hope I can make this as a movie because mm-hmm. that's the reason you write it. You're excited about an idea, you write it down, and it takes you you know a couple of months before you realize oh, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> Why was I excited about it? Um, but for this one, yeah, the opposite. Like this one, we already had I think three screenplays at that point, and we were trying to get something made, and we were in the middle of something. And then I just wrote this one for myself just to deal with it. I, I normally. I uh, would write music about it, but we were in a place where I had no music instruments and I had no way to do that. So I was just kind of, okay, I'll write a story instead um, to exercise it a bit. But that, to me, the, that idea is terrifying. Um, <laughs> yeah. Exposing not not just yourself, but your pain and that person's pain. Uh, and I, I, you, you mentioned in the Q&A how... You weren't, you know, like you said, you weren't intentionally, this was just going to be something you were going to put out there, get through it, and put it in a drawer maybe. Uh, But now you are putting it in front of a camera, you're casting it, you're creating it. How? Like emotionally, how do you you go through that process? Yes, it's cathartic, but... I mean, in all honesty, until you're doing like right now, we're in the you know in the middle of a little mini thing, and again to come to like Alamos and do the theatrical, meet people. Now's when it's suddenly real. Mm-hmm. Like in all honesty, when you're making a movie, you, well, at least for me, and maybe just for your first movie, I don't know yet, but like it, you don't believe it's real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you're just going through the process of doing things because that's what you do, and then you go and shoot it, and then you edit it, and you're in a room on your own for like months, and then you bring in people to like help finesse stuff. And then you show it to some people, and then you're still like, all right, well, everyone's going to hate it, obviously, and then it's not going to go anywhere, and then you get into a festival, and then the next step happens. And it's it's only really now in the last couple of weeks where I'm like, oh, now that the public is seeing it rather than you know industry people or festival people. Um, not that the festival people aren't public, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. um, it's definitely, yeah, it hit me, and now it feels a lot more surreal of, oh, it's a very vulnerable thing to be showing. Mm-hmm. But, but for me, that's just like the art that I like. I mean, I love entertainment as well but mostly I like is something that is as personal as, as is possible so um, if it only feels right to me and I'm just getting to that age where I just don't care anymore mm. it's just like I don't just be honest and just be who you are and we live in a period of time where there's always someone out there who has more money who has more talent who has you know whatever and the only thing you have is your story like that's it mm. so just try and be honest about it really I loved how you introduced the film. You know, you said it's in two theaters. There's a whole bunch of you here. Some of you are going to love it. And a lot of you may actually hate it. In fact, I know people are going to hate it. Um, but that's, you know, that's the art that I love. That's the cinema that I love. It's it's the stuff that's not for everybody. And um, Starfish, it's a process as for me as an audience member trying to navigate the narrative what is this film what is this experience for this this person based on a true story but then there's these fantastical elements that come in and you as an audience member have to navigate this um i don't want to say roller coaster don't say roller coaster don't do it don't say roller coaster (laughs) these peaks and valleys of the narrative (laughs) you know it goes in different genres and it it goes into different uh formats and it's um it's a it's a wild ride that takes a long time for you to get used to but then you're just excited to be on it I don't know if I have a question there, Billy. <laughs> no, I'm working out my own problems. <laughs> There's a lot of emotion in it. There's a lot of emotion it. into but it. That's and life, right? It well, 
it's not that it felt embarrassing, but it just felt so raw. And despite the fantastical elements, or maybe even because of them, it's, I felt like I was really looking into somebody watching their movie. And then here you are on this podcast, here you are coming out to the crowd, and I just can't imagine being in your place putting yourself out there. Yeah, I, that's a, I think that's a shared feeling. I mean, you know, this it feels strange to, to... Like, I guess art is always very personal. I don't know why it seems like it feels different in in any other of the movies that we look at or we, we take apart. Do you find that people feel awkward asking questions about the film, given how... I like mean, the just, guy across from you? Just obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Um, not really. I mean, people have been pretty, uh, the people, uh, this is the, I mean, this is the thing. It's like the people who come over to talk to you normally are the ones who want to say nice things. Yeah. And the reality yeah. is, you know, there are people who aren't coming, who are going to go on the internet and say terrible things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, cause that's the way life works. People in per- people, person are nice and people on the internet are, can be pretty terrible <laughs> about things. So it's very nice. That's why I was trying to encourage people again, not just with our film, but any indie film, just go and talk about it online if you like it. Cause it changes people's whole careers. Um, no, I mean, in all honesty, the only thing that makes me feel awkward, um, and I was thinking about this today, which if I could change, it would, because when you make a f- when you write a film, like the first thing you learn is you know deal with one thing, don't deal with yep. more than one thing. And this film deals with two separate issues that the lead character is going through: one's to do with her past and someone that she was in love with, who she cheated on, and then the other thing is to do with a friend who passed away. And it's it muddles things when you're dealing with two things because an audience's brain works in a certain way. They want to join those two elements together mm-hmm. to be part of the same thing, which they are emotionally for that character, but the incidences are very different. So as a writer, that's like a mistake, um, which I willfully went into just because I was going through that. And then on a personal level, that's the only thing that makes me feel awkward. If I could take right. something back, because I, I do, like, I was not gun-shy about how I felt about my friend who passed away because that's my personal story. Right. But uh, the other element of it, I was gun shy about because I don't feel that's my right to talk about. Like, you know, there was someone else in that relationship. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've been honest about the bad things, the, well, some of the bad things. I mean, there's a whole context and, you know, so sure, much else. Sure, 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 sure. And that's something which, again, I don't feel awkward about it, really. Maybe I should, but it's kind of, we're all people and everyone fucks up and does terrible things. And maybe they should be judged for that. That's up to, you know, everybody to decide. But I do find it unfair that artists get the final say in things. Like, a creative person gets the mm-hmm. final say. It's like when you go and like listen to, like, Ben Folds 5 doing Brick live, <laughs> and everyone's singing along, and you're like, how does this girl feel? Yeah. Like, fucking yeah. abortion. Like, yeah. it's, it's just, it kills me. And the idea of, uh, yeah, my ex-partner you know, listening to anything or reading anything and people being sympathetic with me about stuff, and she would be furious, and she should be, you know, like, they shouldn't right. be sympathetic. So I do kind of wish I'd taken that aspect of it out so it was a cleaner narrative and then I would be honest about everything, if you know what I mean. As a as a writer, how do you work through what you feel is shareable? I mean, is it, is it things freely given under the context of, hi, I'm a writer, I write about things, and I'm, you know, looking into the human experience so I can inform my writing? Or do, do you feel comfortable taking from other things without engaging with that person to, to share that tidbit? I don't know. The human experience seems like... Uh, we all experience similar things different ways. Yeah, it's all perspective, really. Isn't yeah. It? Um, yeah, no, again, like, I feel you can tell your side. Hmm. It's up to you where you gauge your morality of when you get to, like, because every story that's personal, you're always kind of assuming something on the other end, and that is kind of unfair, I feel. Um, and I think that's a hard balance to do because I do think most of the great artists that, you, that people look up to are kind of assholes because they don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. They don't care about anybody else's opinion. They're like, my vision is it. 
Um, and I like to think I'm not a complete asshole, so like I do struggle sometimes with that. But when it's just a purely personal, emotional experience, it's like no, just be as honest as you possibly can. And that's really all I was trying to do with stuff. It's just like yeah, this is how it all feels to me at that point when I wrote it. And then again, you're in a different place by the time you're in post, so that's the difficult thing. Yeah, go ahead, Stephen. Was there a lot of? Um, did you have to make a lot of compromises with the crew and with like Virginia Gardner and stuff like that as you're making this very personal film? Uh, I know usually it's like it takes a village to make a film. How much of that affected your personal story? Really, nothing. Like everyone was incredibly supportive. Like the producers were supportive, okay. and Ginny was insanely supportive. And I, I think that was the reason she wanted to do it because it was so. I mean, for an actor, it's a very challenging role, and you're in nearly every frame of the film. Mm. But at the same time, it's a very exciting role, for I think, for most actors, because you get to show so many different ranges of emotions. And to be honest, it's a very different edit of the film. Like, you know, we would do takes, and we'd play with things, and we'd try... Because you don't know when you're in it. It's like, should this is this too depressing? Should we do this a bit <laughs> cuter? Should we, you know... And there were definitely points where we let... I had certain sort of sign language things with Jenny that we agreed on of, like... Mm this means you've already done a good job now like do one for you go crazy like this you know and she had a lot of fun with some of that um, and some of that ended up in and it took a while to curate it and realize no it needs to the somber tone needs to retain for most of the film and just tiny little perforated bits of cuteness um, but everyone was supportive with all of the weirdness in okay. the movie and all the emotion because I think people pretty quickly realize okay well this is the movie so sure. if you shy away from it mm-hmm. then it's it's just there's nothing there you sure. know, because it's not a normal narrative-based movie. It is, again, sound pretentious, more of a sort of a poem of a movie that's hopefully just trying to make you feel something, and you either do or you don't. Like, you can't... There's no convincing someone to feel something. Yeah. So... I, I mean, you know, this is... Um, I, I'm curious. You, you Like, even during the Q&A session, right, You, it's almost like you apologize for being pretentious and that you're, <laughs> you're very, very concerned that people will assume that there's some intellectualism uh, behind what you're working on. And, I'm like, what's the friction there for you? Why do you feel like you need to sort of talk that down a bit? Um... This is my first. I'm going to try not to use the word humble because my mom's recently said I say humble too much. <laughs> like, that's a terrible word. Like, is it? Um, I think I like people to be humble, but um, I. Look, it, it again. It's an obtuse film, and I just feel very lucky to have got to make it. Yeah. It's obviously you know it is. The people who hate it think it's up its own ass and it's like doing and and that's and in some ways I agree with them. Mm. But I feel that's what the film is. It's like it has to be up its own ass to kind of get to where it's trying to go to. Um, emotionally, and I'm only apologizing for it because that's my basic personality. <laughs> so let's blame parenting and England. <laughs> Done. Uh, yeah. uh, my mom's from Devon, so I'll let her know. Um, so I want to get back to this idea of you wrote it at one stage yeah. and now you're making it at another stage. Are you trying to be loyal to the person that wrote it, or are you now the person making it and forget that guy? So the risk of giving people ammo who hate the film, where they can go, like, oh, that's why it's a fucking mess. Could you change things later? We did change things later. Like, we filmed a lot. Um, there's actually, like, a three-hour cut in a movie and then a one-hour, 50-minute cut, which was the, the cut for a long time. And right now, it's just like, I would love there's, like, seven minutes I really want to get out of the movie. Oh. <laughs> um, but you have to let it go. Um, and it's, it was a weird process because we were so small and we made a bunch of mistakes top tip if you make an indie film is get a post-production coordinator <laughs> mm. um, very very important and it, it then took a long time to do the post and yeah I'm in, a, I'm in a completely different place when we're shooting it a completely different place when we're in post and it was 
a weird job of kind of trying to retain the original story, but also then realizing even in that second draft, which was more hopeful than the original draft, this isn't necessarily the right messaging. Like, there was, scene, there was a scene at the beginning of the film and, a, and an extra little bit at the end, which sort of a little tiny bit, but mostly the beginning, because our, be- our beginning is our ending. Mm. And it was, it was too depressing, I think, and the messaging was too kind of clear, and I was in a very different place. So we did adapt things a little bit, um, and that was something that took... We did actually do a small test screening, and listen to the people who already liked it. We wanted to listen to their problems because obviously people don't like it and never going to. Um, so we listened to their problems and tried to like fix as many of them as possible. And then things that people were confused about that we didn't mind were like, well, that's fine. But we really wanted to make sure the general emotional mood at the end felt roughly the same for most people. Um, and that's probably the question I'm asked the most in Q&A is just like, what, what is your interpretation of how are you meant to feel at the end? And I'm always like, you tell me, yeah. like, how did you feel at the end of the movie? Um, so do you guys find it depressing, the last scene, or was it... I don't, actually. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'd say depressing. I, f- I felt gut-punched. I definitely... I've, I've, you know, in my rambling of trying to explain my emotional experience with you, uh, the creator, <laughs> uh, it, I was all over the map on how I felt about the film as I was watching it. I'm like, I don't like this. Oh, no, that's rad. No, this is cool. This is cool. Oh, no, don't do that. No, no. And then by the time I got to the end, I was I was sad, but it, but it was like a good sad. Um, and it was definitely, as a fan of film, it was like thrilling to have gone through it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think it's a satisfying emotional journey is my... My takeaway from. I mean, I want to watch it again. That's yep. my second experience with it. Is like I, I really, really want to see how that goes. Uh, there's, yeah, there's good emotional closure. I think uh, I, it's a, it's got a good, solid like. She starts here, she ends here, um, and I think that that's that's good, uh, and and that certainly affected me. Um, I know uh, just personally. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit. We're talking about personal stuff. I'm going through a divorce right now, so it resonated. Mm. A lot of that stuff resonated, that guilt, that shame, all that kind of stuff that she's going through and processing. I processed that along with her. And it felt, uh, yeah, there, there are parts of it where I'm like, oh, I feel that right right here in my heart. Um, so it's very interesting. Uh, and I, I got a lot out of it for that reason. <laughs> I think it can connect with people who have been through situations like that. Uh, I think you did a good job of ca- capturing all of that, all of that mixed emotion, all that kind of stuff. Thanks. That's really beautiful, man. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I wanted to talk about making it. I want to talk about the frame, how you want to, you know, the the image itself, you know, the the style of the image, you know, from the grain to, you know, to replicating a time that we're not necessarily living in right now. Um, Why, like, where does the... Where does the frame of the picture come from, the actual image? So, I mean, yeah, and, uh, for instance, the time thing of it was something I was very passionate about. Mm-hmm. I don't like films that are dated too much, and I hate just seeing technology in films as a general rule. One, because it does date, but also just it, there's, obviously there's always an exception, but there's little that's less interesting to me than watching a camera film a screen. Yeah. Mm. It just, like, uh, I was just saying at a Q&A, I watched Personal Shopper recently, and I know everyone loves that film, <laughs> but there's a whole fucking bit in the middle where she's just looking at her phone. Yeah. <laughs> I love that film, but yes, that is true. Yeah, I was just like, like, surely there's a better minutes. way to tell that bit of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean that was always I, I really love it follows for doing that. Like mm. it kind of some people I don't think yep. that means it's in a different universe. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's the world telling you it doesn't matter. And we live in a world now where there's so many eccentric, weird, hipster people. Like I have friends who have legitimately no internet, no TV, no nothing in their houses. Um so for me, it's like, well, it makes sense, you know, like that it could be someone living like this in the mountains who just is very retro, and that's what how they cassettes like. are on sale at Urban Outfitters mm-hmm. right now. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so that for me makes sense. And then visually, um, I, I've worked with the DP on a few short films, and we worked very, very intensely together. He's the only Alberto Benares is his name from Spain, and he's the only DP who's ever challenges me and says no, mm-hmm. um, which I really respect in a DP. Um, yeah, it's embarrassing when you're fighting for 20 minutes on <laughs> set but we developed the film for a long time together visually rules you know and like what it meant the camera was always meant to be connected to her spirit so at the beginning of the film because she's in a certain emotional state we had literal like diagrams of like how far away the camera can be allowed to move away from her um, because otherwise it would detach too far and she's not in that comfortable space around other people. Uh, we're very careful to make sure she's in every single bit of, uh, like a part of her is in every single frame at the beginning of the film. And then there's a moment when someone's talking to her and they say something and the camera then moves past her and allows her to not be in the frame for the first time. And that's an, impos- uh, an important emotional moment for her. And then the camera starts like moving outwards and, and looking out from her. And for me, I only realized later on that I'm very interested in the extreme close-ups and in the extreme whites. I'm not very interested in, in middle shots, like medium shots, it's just like, it's to do with people interacting with the stuff around them, mm. and that doesn't really interest me. That's the stuff much. of TV. Yeah, mm. yeah. I'm much more interested in what's going on inside and how does that relate to the universe around you rather than what are you picking up and like mm. what are you looking at. Mm. Uh, what were some of the no's? <laughs> um... Well, on a feature, it's a little different because there's a lot of pressure. He's told me no on short films. But on this, we were luckily <laughs> able to. Like, we did a short film that was in square format, and he, like, gridded out the, the monitor on the camera. And then I was like, well, we need this shot through the window looking down at this person who's walking across. He's like, we can't do that shot. And I was like, why not? And he was like, well, because it breaks the math mm. of how this grid system has mm. to be, like, balanced. And I was like, yeah, but we need to tell the story. <laughs> and he was like, I don't care, we can't do this shot. So we argued for a bit. And unfortunately, I'm the director, so he had to do it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it makes me think, you know, mm-hmm. and it makes me like, okay. But we really, really planned this out a lot for at least half of it. And then because time's difficult when you're doing an indie film, there would be a lot of three hours sleep and then wake up in the morning and I would thumbnail something and we would just go through it with our AD, try to figure out times, and then occasionally have to make up stuff, you know, on the fly. What was the uh, shooting schedule on this? How many days? It's actually 31 days, oh, which is a lot. That's um, a lot more yeah. than I would have anticipated. Yeah. Okay. Normal features, uh, for particularly for first film, you're going to be talking 17 to 20. Mm-hmm. Um, I sacrificed a lot very early on in pre-production. I was like, I was adamant, I want 31 days. I want, because um, I knew the altitude problems we were going to have, and I knew the snow problems we were going to have. Yeah. Um, and I can't even tell you how much that all slows everything down. So it was still a real push, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been. How, so how, so you, you filmed, where did you film, and how did you come to film there? We filmed mostly in Leadville, Colorado, which is at 11,000 feet pretty much. It's the highest town in America. Um, yeah, it got to like minus 24 points. It's, it's, it's a place that we looked everywhere. We looked in South Dakota. South Dakota, North Dakota, North Dakota. Which one's on Mount Washington? Uh, South Dakota. South Dakota. We looked at South Dakota for a while. We were going to actually do it at Deadwood at one point. Hmm. Um, then we needed guaranteed snow, you know, mm. to like a certain level, um, which is very hard to get at the time of year we're filming. We were filming in December, 
um, November going into December, and actually February and March was the more guaranteed time mm-hmm. in places. Um, and then we went all around Colorado, and I knew Colorado pretty well because I go to a lot. And I wrote the film in Colorado in Basalt, um, in a little cabin near the lake both times um, that I wrote it. And we really were giving up. We're like, we can't find the right feel. And then I remembered uh, I had a ski instructor friend who had taken me up to Leadville once where he lived. Um, and I was like, let's just go and check it out again. And we went up there and just fell in love with it. And it's like this beautiful mining town. It has like, it's very small, but it has this one big street that looks like... You know, like a proper town, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah right. Middle America. But then beyond that, not so much. No, then it really dies off, and we didn't even really get that much of that street because that was a hard one to, to shut off. But they were kindly allowed us to do a few hours shutting off some other streets, and then it's so small you can just steal a few shots here and there and things. Um, and particularly wandering through, you know, forests and snow and stuff, it was very easy access. It's like, oh, it snowed a lot. We have to like our AD had to be flexible enough um, to just move things and just go. Okay, we're going outside now to shoot this stuff. Well, it was, I mean, it's a very small town, no? So, I mean, your presence must have been very visible to the, the local folks. How did they uh, take to big Hollywood coming in to shoot in their town? <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, it was honestly originally a kind of terrifying. We were worried we weren't going to be welcomed. They had, like, whole newspaper clippings to do with us being the apocalypse coming to their town. But when we actually got there, they were a delight. There's a guy called Doug who helped with everything. Um, and the whole city was just wonderful. Like, people were, like, literally cheering our crew as they went into bars and things, and it was, it was really lovely. Um, and they have, yeah, a whole film commission now, so people should go and film in Leadville. Nice. Make it very easy, but train before you go there, because the altitude will fucking kill you. You got to drink a lot of water and prep. Yes. Yeah, really yeah, yeah. It's tough. Uh, so, you know, besides... You know, looking at the the visual image, it's clear to me that you're a, a film guy. You're a big film fan. You have a lot of influences. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the influences? Maybe not less. Not maybe maybe narratively, but also just visually. You know what what feeds you as a filmmaker to bring you to this movie? Um, I'm just going to pull out my headphones. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard because I'm I'm so obsessed with film is maybe is a negative word but I mean that in a negative sense potentially uh, <laughs> for my whole life it seems like you're putting a lot like not just a lot of yourself in there but a lot of style a lot of influence in, in, in the film well we were talking about it like yeah. earlier because I was saying like, a lot of people tell me even my short films are like it, there's a lot of comic book uh, panels of how I do stuff mm. and I think that's not on purpose it's just like I grew up reading a lot of comic books and I think that ingested into my brain um, just naturally. We, we were talking about the shot with her with the turtle on yeah. the head. Uh, that feels like a comic book panel. Yeah, and that was the first image I drew for the film was that. Um, did I you mean, storyboard it all? No, 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 no. I had a guy called Bowen Jiang who oh, did cool. it. I think I'm pronouncing him right. I kind of said it quickly. So. <laughs> uh, he's wonderful. He helped me design the creature, um, and he helped. Yeah, did it. I would thumbnail everything because I'm very... Because storyboarding's a weird thing because it's like you're deciding your shots. Yeah. And as a director, it's like, that's very particular, and a DP. But I would, like, thumbnail it, and then he would turn it into proper storyboards. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, we only got for about 50% because we just ran out of time. Sure. you got to make that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you? <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, it's too many influences. I yeah. mean, honestly, like, like, there was very little on purpose. Like, And we would look at stuff. Like, me and my DP prefer to, and if we were lucky enough to keep doing this, we'd, I want to do more genre film, but I prefer to, to look at drama like I'm a huge genre fan and I run a podcast that does genre every single week and I hope that proves to people I may not know as much as all the deep cuts you know but I am very passionate about it and I love I love horror and I love left field science fiction in particular like Donnie Darko and Solaris and films like that yeah 
um, that's more interesting to me than sort of science. I like to have like a real character in the sci-fi world mm-hmm. um, or vice versa rather than sci-fi, sci-fiction character in a sci-fiction mm-hmm. world. That mm-hmm. doesn't interest me as much. Um, but we were actually looking at... So I sent Jenny like loads of Blu-rays to watch. Yeah, so that's what I want to know about. What do, what do you give her? I need to check my Amazon. Um, <laughs> but, I, it was, but it was films like the Three Colors trilogy. Oh, yeah. It was right. stuff like that. Um, which actually her costume at the beginning is based on Three Colors Red's uh, costume. We just changed it from red to yellow. Damn. Jumper. But it's like the exact huh. same sort of look, same skirt, same tights, same See jacket. It? I need to rewatch this movie immediately. <laughs> um, but no, that was something I was adamant about. It's like drama... Uh, we wanted to approach stuff like drama. Wow. And then the genre stuff just surrounds that. And that's something we're increasingly looking at. Like, the next project I'm hoping we get to do, we're, we're looking at There Will Be Blood. Like, we're like, yeah. that's... Uh, and everyone to treat it like There Will Be Blood. You know, mm-hmm. Not ever ho- dreaming would get to that level. <laughs> but you got to aim high to win the sure. you know? And for me, that's more like... I love genre films, but I was very careful not to use them as examples for people. Because mm-hmm. then people's brains just go to a different place yeah. with what they think it's meant to be like. The reality of the emotion changes. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas I was like, no, this is a drama film. Which for me, I mean, it's been a problem with the film in a way. Like afterwards, we luckily got embraced by Fantastic Fest and then the genre crowd and genre festivals embraced us a little bit. And that was a surprise to me. Because mm-hmm. I was like, to me, this is a drama film. And we for sure had genre film fans who were like, oh, I enjoyed it, but there's not enough horror in that film. And I was like, I agree. That <laughs> <laughs> wasn't really meant to be. Um... So it's kind of difficult when you're bridging that gap, I guess. But mm-hmm. it's it's somewhere that we definitely didn't, you know, do everything I want to with this one, but uh, that I'm really interested in exploring. It's it's interesting when you're watching the movie and uh, an element, a fantastical element, or maybe not a fantastical element, but a, a science fiction element enters the in the into the film from frame one. Really, uh, you start to anticipate. Okay, what's happening? Oh, there's that based on a true story thing at the beginning. Is this all just like in a snow globe in some child's room right now? Like, what type of drama is this? Uh, And you're always kind of switchbacking on if this is going to be a science fiction film or if this is going to be a horror film. And right up until the end, you're... I'm struggling to place this movie somewhere. And I think that's also kind of the joy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly, you don't mind putting an audience in that place. No, I mean, again, I'm a genre fan, but the word genre is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because everything is everything, a genre. Yeah. So I don't really understand how that happened to begin with. And, and for me, yeah, like, I mean, film should be... And particularly genre film. Like, it's like when people... A friend who watch a horror film, like, oh no, I come because that was too like that really upset me. I was like, it fucking should upset you. Like the whole point is, it's meant to shake you up and break rules. And the whole reason I like genre, like I grew up as a snobby child, and I'm gonna apologize again for being pretentious. <laughs> I was a very pretentious kid, and when I was like 11 years old, my favorite film was Dead Poet Society, yeah. Dances with Wolves, and stuff like that. And it wasn't until I was like 16 that I watched Night of the Living Dead, and it changed my life. Because, yeah. again, no spoilers, because it's weird. I find spoilers are like if the film's really recent or really old. <laughs> yeah, but lots of people yeah. haven't seen it yet, right? For sure. And, yeah. For sure. Don't Don't go watch Night of Living Dead, you really Yeah. Know. This is a ridiculous conversation. And... <laughs> Shush, Andy. <laughs> you, He's upset. No spoilers yeah. for Night of Living Dead, Andy. But the ending of that film subverts all your expectations. And yeah. it blew me away of like, oh, wow, here is a genre where you can do anything like you can break the rules of, of cinema and you're allowed to do that and you're not just allowed you're encouraged and that really that's the film that got me into genre film um, so for me it's like yeah it, it should again like 
I'm in no way pretending that this film ends up as everything that you're intending it to be when you're making it. Um, but in terms of, yeah, sitting across different bridges of genre, it might be scary for a distributor because then it's like, how do we market this? Mm. Um, it might be scary for theaters. I don't know. You can tell me, Andy. But I mean, the marketing is a, an element to all of this. Sure. Um, but I think Fantastic Fest adds a level of pre-existent marketing to it as well. And expectation. Expectation what is what Al was also saying, too. Is You know, you go, oh, this is a Fantastic Fest film. It's going to be... X something yeah yeah and, uh, and then and yeah that's that's kind of how I rolled into the film uh, and what's yeah. what's the best level of expectations to have before you go into a movie totally non zero context and just experience what happens in I was front thinking of you? about this before because like I tend to as you may notice I tend to downplay people's expectations a lot mm. in the hope that then <laughs> if they like it they're pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. whereas Andy goes in and like fucking is hyping this up like crazy <laughs> and but there's a whole like but you're absolutely right like there's a way like if you get people excited for something that you go in with an energy and they can embrace things easier you know like it really just depends from person to person and I don't think there's a, a set rule with it I would also say it depends from programmer to programmer and how well they are at hyping that film and if they're if their enthusiasm is genuine yeah. not to like blow more smoke up Andy's ass over here uh, but Andy does a great job of getting you in, in, uh, enthused hype also comes from making sure you have an audience at a base level like at a, at a festival event, you're going to have those folks who have been through an emotional roller coaster or just an exhaustive time. Sure. And if you bring them to a certain level and then allow the film to either take them there or where they need to go, that's where you want to be. I kind of feel like you just sort of say, okay, here's the next movie, and you pop it up. There's some people that are here, some people that are here, some people that are here, and it sort of then wobbles the line as to their overall experience for the film. But if you get out there and you're like, this is this, this is this, this is this, then you're bringing everyone to that same level in essence. That's what I see when I talk about hype. It's not necessarily always just like this, this, this. It's just let's get our excitement together and then express it after the screening of I think I think it does depend what the context of that movie is. Like with our movie in particular, it's a, it's a slow burn at the beginning, and it definitely ends in a different place than it than it starts. So mm-hmm. I think you have like your hype around it, like to bring people in. It keeps people's energies going in terms of like, okay, something's you know, stuff is going to happen you know in this film that that might challenge what they're feeling. So I almost feel like it, for this film, let's use this as a, just the example. The audience. Uh, yeah, yeah, jump on that mic, yeah, Andy. Here, here, get on this so, one. The audience is looking a little bit more. So, for example, uh, your film, I get out there and hype it. We start watching it. Afterwards, I had two people come to me and say, did you notice the straw at the very beginning? Like, they became more hyper-aware of what was going on. Like, the straw was unripened. I don't have to tell you you made the movie. Um, <laughs> I didn't oh, I've been telling you that. That's, that's <laughs> fucking terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I did not put that in yet. Um, but, but, but they became, they were looking for what that hype was for, and suddenly then they become a more cognizant, more eagle-eyed film, and then you get that discussion a little stronger after the screening, so to speak. I, that's, that's no, I think you're right, because even if they hate it, at least they're more informed of why they hate it, because they entered it engaged, right. which well, is interesting. But it, I, sort of I think it, it looks like right there. In terms of what, okay. that, what, what are you showing? What are you showing? Are you showing him? It's a great picture. Oh, and yeah, you're welcome for that picture. Preaching yeah. to the crowd. <laughs> um, 
No, I, I think, um, shit, what was I going to say? I, you got distracted by his... No. No. Yeah, uh, no, it was, um, okay, uh, because you have to set expectations for people. Right. So you set expectations for people, and it helps give them context sometimes for what they're about to look at. I mean, the, the genres of films, I like, I agree, genre is a silly word, and the way that we talk about it sometimes is, is very strange to me, and I don't really it's understand. It's everything but drama. All the rules yeah. of it. Right. Just like, show yeah. the base what every film is. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's so, it's so, because, like, genre is a small thing, apparently, but, like, it's everything except mm-hmm. for not just fiction. Kramer versus yeah. Kramer, <laughs> and every other movie. But my my point is I, I think those different genres have different languages for cinema and they're not always speaking the same language and sometimes it's helpful to know what the movie you're going to watch uh, as you come in and sit down at no, it. What language it's kind of speaking so you can contextualize things. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm a huge slasher fan and I like to know yeah, when I'm going to a slasher, no, this is a real slasher film and not something that's pretending to be or it's like thinks it's too clever so it's going <laughs> to mess with the genre. It's like, no, I want to know it's just a fucking slasher film and I'm going to get what I want. Because some Sometimes you want to go to a restaurant that's a chain because you know they're going to give you the exact food mm. that you know you like. And sometimes yeah, you want to go somewhere else and be surprised and take a risk. You know? So, yeah, I agree. Hmm. All right. So um, I want to get to your question. Stephen, you have a question? Just real quick. Yes, so, please. Since we're talking about genre and managing expectations, mm. the film jumps around a lot. When you're making the film, like maybe designing the monster, how do you manage those expectations within the film itself mm. when you're making it so that you're not going too far this way, too far that way? What, what were some of those lines you had to draw for yourself? In terms of like revealing it and showing it so it didn't yeah, just go Yeah, or fun. like not going too horror, not going too science fiction. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing. Just staying true to the drama. At the I mean... Heart. I mean, well, one part of that is just purely the creature designs for me. Like, I've talked about it quite a lot, but Silent Hill 1 and 2, the video games, were a big influence on it because they were about the demons yeah. meaning something mm-hmm. uh, before uh, Pyramid Head just became a mascot. And originally, they represented certain things to do with James's psyche and to do with, like, sexual repression and guilt and all this stuff, um, which I love. Um, so I really wanted to do that stuff. I mean, not guilt, you know. <laughs> but you have to learn to love guilt because you live with it. Mm. Um... But in terms of how to, like, show them, that was something we were very, very careful with. Sure. Because the DP... My DP had the, is not really a genre fan, which is getting to something that I like okay. um, with working with him with this stuff. So he's kind of new to all of those things. And I like eking those details out and I'm again 100% like for me like my least favorite things are the things to do with the creatures in the film like my favorite bit of the movie is, is really the last scene because Sigur Ross is playing and I love Sigur Ross and the first 20 minutes which is just pure drama and for a lot of people that's the worst bit because it's just mm-hmm. kind of like not much is happening but for me that's more interesting um, and I think it's just because I'm acutely aware of as a genre fan how much I it's so difficult to right. play that balance. And when we originally talked about creatures, I was like, okay, I never want to see it, but I want to find. Ev- I don't want to shy away from it. So my rules were no fast cuts to get around it, mm. because that's cheating. Um, and the other one is, yeah, I want to have as many shots as possible where you're looking directly at it, but you're not looking at it. Right. So for instance, like it's standing up very close. I don't want to get too many spoilers, but like you know, there's a point where it's very close to the camera, so there's a lot of bokeh on it. There's a point where it's mm. behind a window and you should be able to see it, but because of the context and how we're framing stuff, you can't. Um, and then I really want to do a lot through refractions because obviously the film's a lot about refracted psyche. So it's like I want to shoot through bottles and glass and ice mm. and all of this stuff. Um, and then I talked to my effects guy, and he was like, it's a fucking nightmare, man. Do you have any idea, like, how... Because we were just going to shoot for it. And he was like, no, if you do that, then we need to, like, put those bottles in in CGI as well and then use refracting, like, models to, like, do all this stuff. 
And I was like, okay, we didn't have the, we just didn't have the budget for it. So I didn't get to do it all the way I wanted to. Sure. Um, but for me, that balance was very important of like gradually showing things. And there were, there were a few, there were other scenes that we shot that effects were meant to happen to like increase that and to actually show some other creatures, okay. um, which we designed. But yeah, they just, they had to be edited out. It was way too long. Writing a movie is one mountain. Making a movie is another mountain. Now promoting it and taking it around countries is a, another mountain. At the same time, I need to know what is what is driving your energy creatively. Like, are you like what are you consuming? Obviously, you're a big uh, movie fan. You get your own podcast. What are you excited about right now outside of your own uh, creative? Experience Things that are coming up, you mean? Yeah. Well, coming up or just, you know, what a, a movie you've watched recently, a comic book you've uh, been reading, books you've been reading. I mean, I am i can't even tell you my hype level of Endgame. Like, yeah. it's, it's really... Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Uh, not to go, you know, just as mainstream as it's humanly possible. Uh, you were talking to the right guy. Yeah. I'm wearing the X-Men shirt right now. Avengers is all I'm living for right now. Sorry, Andy. But Endgame. I've turned a lot of our Q&As just into Endgame. Good. Can I pitch you my last scene of Endgame that I want? Yes. Yes. My dream end scene, and I mean this so sincerely, is I want to end with Cap back in his own time period. Uh Uh-huh. And I just want, you know, like at the end of Dark Knight Rises where Michael Caine's sitting there and you think Batman's dead uh-huh. and then he sees, and it's this beautiful moment and then they fuck it up by uh-huh. showing uh-huh. them at uh-huh. the, like, drinking uh-huh. their little mm-hmm. coffee or tea. <laughs> we don't do that. We're just with Peggy Carter at that date that he's meant to, like, that he promised her he was going to, like, go to. And you just on her face dance. and then you see her just, like, looking up and from her acting, because she's a great actress, mm-hmm. from her acting, you know that he's just walked in like into like have that day and then they just cut to end credits. I would be happy with that. That would be, that would make me happy. Can okay. I tell you my the, the one thing it. about Endgame that I would love more than anything is you know we've built to Avengers against Thanos, but Thanos we see his content smile at the end. He's on the farm. He's done what he's done. In Endgame, he's not happy. Uh, Thanos should not should never feel contentment. Uh, if Jim Starlin taught us anything, Thanos should always be regret, always chasing and courting death. And he and the Avengers need to incorporate somehow together. And the trailer shot where they're all in their quantum realm suits walking off into the quantum realm, I want Thanos to be with them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think it, I think a big, because they recently did that tweet. Um, you know, then it would have like we're coming yeah. for you, Thanos, mm-hmm. and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And I think that's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like I really do feel everyone's focused on Thanos. Yeah. It's like it's, he already won. Yeah. Like his story is basically done. It's over. So if he's in this film that much, I think he's either not in it very much at all. He dies very early in the film, like in the first, you know, beginning of the movie, or it's something like you're saying that completely subverts what you're expecting about it. Because I, I don't. They were so clear before of like these are two separate movies and I think they're going to be more like two separate movies than people think I think yeah. this will be a whole different thing. I agree I agree and that's how they did in the comics when it was time to do the sequel to Infinity Gauntlet Infinity War Thanos had to join get rid of those doppelganger Steven yeah. you know it, absolutely yeah. it's a different kind of story all right, that did not know. the hell out of me, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. I did just, I'm so excited that we were talking about Avengers Endgame suddenly. <laughs> when, when you guys see Starfish, you'll understand why there's, <laughs> there's a shock. At there's that. Thanos in it. <laughs> yeah, there's Thanos. He's she's, just, she's collecting each stone as <laughs> she walks in place. I, look, that's there's, what, that's that's what the, the tapes thing. represent. Yeah, I was going to say. 
There's your marketing poster. There's the marketing yeah. poster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're just like holding them up yeah. in the fist. All in their Right now, right now. The lost I, chapter. I do want to make clear, like, my passion falls on both sides. So last sure. year, like, Infinity War, there's a photo of me on Twitter that my friend posted after Infinity War, and I'm literally just, like, cradling myself in the seat and didn't move because I was just so happy. I was mm-hmm. like, this is the best ending of any comic book film ever, and I can't believe they did it, and mm-hmm. it made me so happy. And I kind of was just like, can you please just stop the MCU right now? Uh, yeah. Just yeah. end it, because that's it. We're There's great. no getting better than that smile. Uh, but, yeah, but my favorite film of last year was You Were Never Really Here by so far. Yeah. Like just, just astronomically better than anything else I've seen. And I think Lynn Ramsey is the greatest female director working today. And she's only done four films since, like, the 90s. I've been following her since Ratcatcher, which my mom loves. And I, I enjoyed Ratcatcher, but I didn't love it. And Morven Callar I thought was phenomenal. And obviously Kevin was brilliant. Yeah. But I think this, this is her best movie. And I think it's yeah. it's a near-perfect movie for me. We sponsored it last weekend, number nine. That was an yeah. ItMod-sponsored really, film. Really yeah, loved, loved, loved that People haven't seen that. See that. And just go watch Phantom Thread again, because of why people aren't watching that right now well, I don't understand everyone should just be watching that on repeat the the scene when he comes home to his house and does battle mm-hmm. and what happens in the kitchen mm-hmm. I think is some of the best filmmaking out there period end of discussion no it's phenomenal yeah where's my uh, Alamo draft house to, uh, feast in a movie with some mushrooms yes and phantom thread I think that yeah, can both happen both of those movies I really I want to work with Vicky so badly like I think she's insane in, in phantom thread yeah Oh, well, let's make that happen. Let's let's tweet. Let's tweet her. Oh, I thought we were just gonna like go out and find her. Oh yeah, we, no, we can do that. We can form a squad. And then we left Winchester, yeah. Virginia. <laughs> all right, request. all right, Billy. Billy, it's time for your question. It's time for my question. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, so uh, before my question, I just want to say, uh, despite asking a lot of questions about how awkward this is for you to talk about personally, or what an emotionally driven weird movie that it is, I absolutely love the final product that you have out, and I'm still working through it in my head. It's, it's very well done and I, I could not recommend it enough to people to go take a look at thank you this sounds like a setup for a really painful question so <laughs> yeah. that being said <laughs> no no uh, so I mean look uh, as part of the interview process uh, we've been fortunate enough to talk to a lot of independent filmmakers and we absolutely understand uh, not just how hard it is to make a movie but how hard it is to make an independent movie and uh, how much harder it is to make a first time movie as an independent movie uh, so what we like to ask uh, to end on a positive note given how difficult those things are is uh, you know when you're feeling low in your creative process or something's not going right in the editing room for Starfish and the vision's not coming together um, or for future projects, what moment from this experience in making the movie will you kind of look back at that will sort of boo you in those low times or give you a sense of gratitude for what it is that you are have been afforded the opportunity to do? I like that you assume there's a positive answer to this. <laughs> um, He's a very hopeful person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really am. You have a good soul. <laughs> Well, slow down. In all honesty, it's it's this stuff, like talking to people and having conversations. And again, like that could be a negative conversation. It could be a mixed conversation. It could be a positive conversation. But that's like, like, again, I didn't expect to make it. I didn't expect it to be out there. So any struggles I have in the future, you just look back on. Like when it was a Fantastic Fest, I was ready. Like, because they were like, they worked so hard to like fill everything. And mm. there were two packs, they were like rooms. And I was fucking terrified. <laughs> and... Then you meet some people afterwards, and some guy almost immediately came over to me crying and was like, I buried my mother last week, and this film meant everything to me. And I was like, I'm good. Like, that's it. Like, anything else anyone says, that's fine. Like, like if one person got anything out of it, that's amazing. Um, 
so really it's it's that being getting to be a part of that community and for me again like i enjoy entertaining films infinity war can both make you feel things and entertain you agree that is why it's great but um <laughs> but it, it but for me like my reason to want to make stuff is to communicate with people um and to be able to say hey here's how i feel about things and i think it's something that we all need to do more on social media um not just in film is to go and I try and do it and the problem is you do it when life is going bad and people think you're moaning you do it when life is going well and mm. people like uh, you know subjectively well from looking at your life mm. through fucking Instagram photos and people think you're being an arsehole for mm. being like oh yeah life's so terrible for you but the truth is it's like I suffer from depression most of my friends do and things are going great for me right now comparatively mm. to how my life was before and I'm very grateful for that and it does feel lovely to like meet nice people like you guys and talk about things and get to meet Andy and you know come to these places but I still feel, you know, depressed nearly every day and struggle with that. Yeah. And that's something that I feel people need to talk about more. Um, and to be like, yeah, sure, my life looks pretty cool on Instagram, but also I feel these things because the people at home, you know, who, and I have friends who I know they love me and I know they're supportive and I'm the same with them. But when they see things are going great, I know somewhere in the back of the head, they're like, fuck. Because then you reflect in your own life. Yeah. You're like, why aren't I doing that yet? You know? Right. And I do that with my friends all the time and I hate myself for it. Yeah. And then you just caught in this spiral. Yeah. So for me, it's like looking at these moments with people where you get to talk about that stuff, share experiences, hear other producers, directors, and hear just you know, fans like say the honest truth about that feeling and connect and realize, no, we're all, all of us are in it together. And not, it, you don't need to take it so seriously. Because we're just, it's all make-believe. Like we're so lucky yeah. to get to just make stuff up and then talk about it for ages. Like that's wonderful. I love it. So that, that will get me three things. I think that's a perfect answer. Yeah, thank you, Al. Thank you for taking so much time to talk with it's us today. Pleasure. We really, really appreciate it. Um, speaking of your Instagram, <laughs> where can people go to find you online, plug your podcast, plug whatever you want? Thank you. Um, I, I really want to plug uh, Tiny Chef Show. If no one follows that on Instagram, he's a D. Uh, when you say happy place, Tiny Chef Show is my happy place. Um, I'm Mr. Hell White on everything. Um, yeah, on Instagram and Twitter. And our podcast is called We Are Geeks, and we do yeah, a horror show every single Friday where we talk about horror films, and then we do other regular shows occasionally as well. Um, I think that's about it, really. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Al. Steven, guest dork. Yes. Thank We're, you for having me on here. Oh, it was our pleasure. We're going to do it again. We're going to make it awesome. happen. Uh, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on uh, on Twitter. I tweet through the store account, Four Color Fantasies, uh, but I also tweet through my personal account, um, SDClef. Um, so, yeah. And you've got exciting things coming up at Four Color Fantasies? Yes. Real quick, I'm going to plug, uh, by the time this comes out, we'll be in the middle of a silent auction charity drive for the Literacy Volunteers of Winchester. We're going to be uh, auctioning off sketch covers done by professional and local art comic book artists. Whoa. Um, and we have 40 in the shop as of right now. We're hoping to have more. All the proceeds will go to the Literacy Volunteers. My understanding is one of those is a Jeff Lemire. It is. Batman uh, shadow sketch. Yes. It's what? Very, it's very exciting. Uh, that was... That was our big get. That's, we, did, we didn't think we'd be able to do that. That's the one that I'm going to win. So just <laughs> Good set luck. that aside. <laughs> yeah, you, you, people will be able to vote online, um, and uh, and it'll be a great time. All right. Thank you, Stephen, for joining us. Andy, how you doing? You doing good? Fantastic. You doing great? Can we still find you at the Animal Draft House, Winchester? Whoop, whoop. <laughs>
There he is. You that's can follow follow that guy on at Cinema like Bandwagon. Right there. Yeah, I know. He yeah, just blew no, out my yeah. uh, speaker. Don't tell Darren. I just need to say I really fucked up and I didn't say please go to starfishmixtape.com where you oh. can find out where we're playing and it is across America right now. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> On my head, I was like, I think there's something else I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. Well, that was uh, starfishmixtape.com. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it, Andy. Yes. Also, did you catch our Cameron Stewart poster that we have? The what? Cameron Stewart poster. No. The artist who does like the Fight Club. Is that the Letterbox poster? I was yeah, the yeah, one that's it. on Letterbox. That's yeah. Cameron Stewart. He's amazing, dude. Awesome. Yeah. And that's it, like get. Cameron is yeah. such an amazing person. He did that for charity for us as well. What? He gave all cool. of his all of his yeah, money to charity for that. Well, that's awesome. He's a wonderful man. All right. Okay. A lot of comic book talk on this. I wasn't expecting it. It makes me very, very happy. Uh, all right, guys. Um, you'll hear our outro in our actual outro when we record that. All right. How's that going, really? Okay. That works out. <laughs> and there you go. Just like I promised, an outro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look at that. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. It's exciting. Man, I cannot tell you how excited I was when we started chatting Avengers Endgame with Al. That was a real treat. I I loved every bit of that conversation. I, I do, like, I wish, because I feel like we started with suicide yeah. and we ended with Avengers. comic book movies. Yeah. I feel like it would have been a better flip, but yeah, well, that's you know, the way you go sometimes. Sometimes you... You don't know how these interviews are going to go, so you really just want to get right into the meat of the film. And, you know, Starfish, as we said at the beginning, it's dealing with a lot, and um, a lot, you know, the emotions are extreme and real. Yeah. And I think we had to start there, Billy. Well, I think you're right. And I think also, you know, a lot of times when we do these conversations, you know, we've seen the movie in advance and we've had time to reflect process. and process. Yeah. And boy, howdy, this was. We finished the movie, we watched 30 minutes of Q&A, and we immediately went upstairs and started recording this conversation. And I, I definitely was still processing. And I, I think that's a tricky thing to like emotion because like I'm emotionally in the mix right now. And that's, I think that was for me what led us to start down that path that we did uh, straight away is because that's where you are emotionally. So I hope if this conversation did not already turn you on to watching Starfish, that you take our word for it. It is worth your time. Absolutely. It's a hell of a cinematic experience. Al White is an amazing visualist. I cannot wait to yes. see whatever his sophomore film ends up being. And I'm just really thrilled and feeling content that Al spent so much time with us, not only in this conversation, but when we finished having this conversation, we spoke for like another hour. That comic book conversation goes on for a while. Long time, <laughs> long time. And, uh, you know, he was, he's extremely generous with his time yeah. and with his willingness to talk about his movies. So, you know, a film like this, sometimes you could just say, Hey, the movie's the movie. I don't need to explain it to you. But Al wants to talk to you about what was in his head with Starfish. Well, and I'm actually glad that you talked about the cinematic experience with it because, you know, I think we spend a lot of time on the psychology of this movie, which I think is very interesting and there's a lot going on there. But you're right. Uh, the visuals of it are gorgeous and uh, not really like things that you have seen elsewhere. Um, so this is quite, quite the eye for telling a story, a fantastical kind of story. 
So keep your lookout for Starfish. It has started its um, theatrical roadshow uh, run. That's what it was going to Lost Weekend yep. with. Uh, that began back in March. So check your local theaters. Uh, see if you can see this on the big screen. I would recommend having the opportunity available to you to watch it on the big screen. I agree. But it'll end up getting on VOD platforms starting uh, May 28th. All right. Uh, and you'll just, just put it on your radar. You're going to want to watch it. Yeah. So, Billy, where can our listeners find you online to talk to you about all these wonderful movies that you're hunting and scavenging? 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 Uh, I, I think with my approach to watching movies as the indie dork, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Yeah. You're a scrabbler. <laughs> where can we find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and Letterboxd at WBDAS. Hit me up anytime you want to talk about movies. Uh, and you can also find uh, my podcast with my nine-year-old daughter where we are expanding her cinematic horizons. Uh, that's called Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures. You can find that on Podbean, iTunes, and you can follow us on the Twitters uh, at B-A-C-E-A podcast. And you can follow me on all social medias, at Mouth Dork. Uh, follow the podcast at It Modcast on Twitter and Instagram. Subscribe to It Modcast on Apple Podcasts, as yes. well as this podcast you're listening to right now, which is a different channel, It Mod Chatcast. Please do that. Please. Because next week we are going to have producer Vicky Flasic from the documentary Fiddlin', yes. as well as her subjects Presley Barker yes. and Wayne Henderson. And that's that's Wayne Henderson of Henderson Guitars. As in, do you have $25,000 to purchase one of his guitars? In six years. Yeah. Because he's that good. Also, Presley Barker's that good. I'm that kid's biggest fan right now. Like, of all the people that I met, man, I was in a room with Emilio Estevez hanging out. And I have told the story of meeting Wayne Henderson and Presley Barker more times than I have told the story of meeting Emilio Estevez. I'm sorry, Emilio. I know we're best friends forever in real life, but Presley Barker's amazing. So come back to us next Wednesday, ItMod Chatcast. Subscribe. Listen to that conversation. And Billy and I are heading to Chattanooga, Tennessee to partake in the Chattanooga Film Festival. That's right. And we're coming back with a bunch of conversations. Dude, I don't know how many conversations, but probably a lot. There's one potential conversation, which if it happens... Pretty excited about I'm pretty excited about. Also terrified, Billy. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Terrified, Billy. Yeah, a little bit you should be. On that note, yeah. take care, everyone. Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams 